Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to First Bite, the Pride of Detroit midweek podcast. My name is Jeremy Reisman. I am the editor-in-chief over at Pride of Detroit. We are back with First Bite episodes because we are starting a very new kind of series of podcasts where we're getting to, new the, getting to know the Detroit Lions 2021 NFL Draft class. With me, co-hosting this episode of First Bite, is Chris Perfett, the adequate Hello. host of the POD cast. How you doing, buddy? Hello. We're doing all right. We are in... I think the uh, post-draft glow has finally worn off a bit, and uh, we had a very busy week, but we'll talk about some of that news on an upcoming podcast for now. I want to talk about Sewell. I want to get all yes. up in Sewell right now. Yes, we're going to obviously start at the very beginning of the draft. The Lions taking Oregon offensive tackle Penny Sewell with the seventh overall pick. So to help us break down uh, everything about him, his game, his personality, his family, everything we can get to know of him, uh, we brought... Uh, on the show today, Tyson Alger from The Athletic covering the Oregon Ducks. Tyson, how are you doing today, man? Hey, I'm doing great, guys. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, um, I want to jump right into this because I, I think Panay has got a fascinating story and it really starts with him landing. Well, I mean, it, it can go all the way back into his childhood, but I want to start with his career at, at Oregon because a 17-year-old landing at Oregon never playing a, a snap at left tackle suddenly comes in and immediately takes a, a, a starting job. How, how does that happen? Well, what's even crazier about that too, is the guy that he beat out for that job was going to, was I think essentially a, a fourth year player. So it wasn't like he beat out another, just a young guy. Like, like he came in and, and beat out a guy that the ducks expected to be the starter that year. Um, and so like a little bit of the backstory, like, when Mario Cristobal came in, like the big focus for Oregon was to just retool in the trenches. He's with former offensive line coach. He just started bringing in these absolutely monster bodies into Oregon. And Sewell was kind of like his first, like, this is the prototype of like what I want to do uh, with this, this line. And they were able to get him over Alabama, which was a pretty big thing like around here. And, and um, yeah, he comes in, he, he, it wasn't like he enrolled early. He didn't come in in the spring he came in during like the normal summer period and within about like six weeks, like just came in and just straight up won that position. And and then it wasn't one of those things either where it was even that close. Like there wasn't like drama in the locker room of this 17 year old coming in and beating out a veteran for that spot. It was just Sewell just kind of came in and uh, their, their longtime family motto has always been Sewell's don't sit on the bench. And uh, he never did at Oregon. <laughs> Yeah, and it's interesting. We we talked to C- Coach Cristobal ourselves, and he mentioned Shane Lemieux specifically coming down and, and knocking on his door and saying, like, I need to play next to Panay Sewell. He needs to start right away, which, I mean, that's just insane for me. For And he was a veteran at the time, I believe, too. Well, well yeah, that uh, those two years of, of, of Sewell on that offensive line, that, that was an offensive line that ended up putting, I believe, three other guys into the NFL. And, like, that was a pretty darn veteran group that had played a lot of snaps with each other already up to that point. And so for him to just kind of like come in there and win that respect right away, like I think that set uh, not only like a precedent for like, 
if you're good enough, you're going to play, but also just like that, that kind of general respect in the locker room of the guy, like or Oregon's recruited out of its mind since Chris ball came in and, and they've really kind of just created an atmosphere where any player can contribute no matter the age. There's not really like that hierarchy to it. Speaking of that recruiting, like, um, you know, I, God, I was watching him like choke slam a kid in high school just to just to just to control that offensive line. So, like, what was it that kind of meanness that really won him the job? Or, I mean, I, I want to ask soon about kind of the scheme fit because I watched how Oregon really used him. But what what made him so enticing to start on that offensive line when he was that that young? Was it the size? Was it the scheme fit? What was it? It, I mean, like the, the size was definitely something. I mean, like he came in, I believe he was about, I think when he came to Oregon, he was like 345 and they actually kind of chiseled him down a little bit from that <laughs> over, over his career, but uh, just incredibly physical and, and agile too. Cause they, they, they do like to scheme their players up to get those blockers out in space. Um, I, you know, if you go back and like one of his like top highlights that I was seeing on Twitter throughout the draft was a, a play where he he just blew up this, I believe it was an Auburn linebacker kind of like on a play out to the left. And like, that's the type of thing that like, just um, he doesn't give up on plays like that. So not only would he be blowing up that guy, but then he would be looking like he's, he's, he's pretty aggressive like that. He likes to kind of like throw his weight around there, which is kind of funny because he's a very, uh, kind of happy-go-lucky kind of jokester like off the field but like he just puts those blinders on when he's out there and um that was kind of day one from them when when Cristobal first kind of uh started recruiting Sewell like the first thing he wanted it was out of camp and instead of talking like the first thing he wanted to do was just put him through drills just like get that hands-on sort of thing and it was kind of like that impression was set from there of like okay this kid's like incredibly young but he's going to be ready right away how how early in his Oregon career was it clear to you that he was something, you know, beyond just a special college player, someone that could be potentially someone going in the top 10? Was it clear the minute he stepped on the field at the beginning of his his freshman year or, or did it take a little bit of time? Uh, it was basically like the second. I mean, like the, the first game was a little bit of like that aura of like, oh, who's this like young kid that's, that's starting? He was the first true freshman left tackle to start at Oregon in 20 years. And by week two, it was pretty evident he was the best player on that offense outside of <laughs> Herbert. Like it, wow. and, and it's, and it's always kind of hard to like judge, you know, necessarily like judge the offensive line over the course of like a couple games, but like there was so much attention on him because he was so young and he was kind of like the, the prototype of what Cristobal wanted to turn this team into. Like um, it, it yeah, he, he was just really good from the start. And he only played in, I think it was six or seven games that first year. Right. And I mean, he was, I know he won the Outland Trophy the next year, but he wasn't that much better as a sophomore than he was those first six games as, as a freshman. Yeah, I believe he was named Freshman All-American despite playing, yeah, half a season. <laughs> so I, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, you, you mentioned that scheme fit. Uh, you know, we I've seen some of his tape where he, you know, Oregon seemed to really like to run those, you know, bubble screens where he could really set up for and some sweet some sweeps to really get out there. And he could really, you know, what what makes him so good on and what kind of plays is Oregon really running that really spoke to Panay Sewell's strengths? You know, when whenever I would ask uh, Oregon's offensive line coach Alex Mirabal about it, he would just say like that his ability to like sense like the extra step, you know, like not only like picking up that first block, but then, you know, getting rid of that guy and, and sensing like that, that extra move downfield. And so like with a lot of those bubble screens or like getting plays out in space, like you would often see Stuhl not only picking up the first guy, but then moving on to the second guy and, and continuing downfield. There was a, 
There was one play, it was his freshman year. I guess it would have been his third game. They were playing Stanford and they ran a little bubble screen out to Jalen Red on the left. And Sewell ended up basically tying him down. Like he, he grabbed a guy out around like the 25 and pushed him all the way out of the end zone from there. And just basically <laughs> wow. just aged the whole, whole time. And like, was almost like running the same speed as like their slot receiver, like down the field. It was just, it was just nuts. And it was, it, but like, that was like, that's the type of thing that like just Oregon, uh, you know, I've been covering them since like the Marcus Mariota era where it was just like speed and flash and everything. And like the fact that like Oregon has somehow like gotten into just like, being physical and like getting like joy out of that as a fandom has been quite the transformation over like the last decade or so. I've kind of gotten a sense watching some Oregon film over the past couple of years that it it almost seems like they've tailored the offense a little bit to Penny Sewell. Like they're, they're running those wide plays because they know Penny Sewell can use that speed. Is that a sense that you got to like, literally, I mean, you don't normally think of an offense being built around a left tackle, um, but that's kind of the sense I got watching some of their film. Well, yeah. I mean, like how shocked were people last year when Justin Herbert did what he did with the chargers. And, and that was just because he played in an offense out of Oregon that was incredibly efficient, but they just didn't really need to have him do what he did for the chargers this last year. Cause they were so confident in that offensive line where running the ball was a priority, getting like those like high percentage plays were a priority just because they were so efficient at being able to do that. They didn't have to take those type of shots just because Sewell, like Sewell could get them five yards every play if they wanted to, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then I also, let, let's talk a little bit more about um, him, him as a person, because I mean, I, I've already had a couple of zoom conferences with him and I came out just smiling ear to ear because he's such an infectious personality. He's yes, he's very turned. Yeah. Uh, so um, let, let's start off with any like personal stories, I guess that, that you have. Uh, if you had any personal interactions, obviously a lot of um, interactions have been virtual in the past year or two, but um, just curious as to your experiences with him. Uh, I, I think probably like my favorite personal interaction with him was probably after the 2019 Pac-12 championship game. Uh, when Oregon was a, actually a pretty big underdog to Utah, and then the Ducks just, you know, beat them pretty handily. And, and he was playing against his uh, his older brother, uh, Nephi Sewell, uh, who was playing for Utah. And, uh, like, family – I mean, you guys have talked to him. Like, family is, like, such a, like, a center part of, like, what they do. I mean, they moved from America to Samoa just for basically, like, this opportunity. And to, like, see him go from, like – the clock ticked down, Oregon's going to the Rose Bowl. And like the first thing Sewell does is make a beeline to his brother and they just wrap into like a bear hug at, at the 50, 50 yard line. Like tears are coming down both of uh, both of them and they both wear a ton of eye black too. So it's just like all <laughs> streaky through there. And then, uh, so then uh, uh, we, we get open locker rooms after the Pac-12, uh, after the conference title of the game. So I, I really wanted to talk to Sewell about that. And he had already transitioned from like the emotional, like, you know, brother thing to like that turnt, like Penny Sewell, like we, we, he, he caught a pass in that game. Like he, he caught a screen pass in that game. And I think like he and I talked about that for about five, six minutes of like, you know, how he just didn't like the read that he was getting. And as soon as he saw a linebacker come towards him, he planted and he's like, I'm done. I'm out of there. But then <laughs> uh, just like kind of being able to get like that whole kind of like wrapping of like, you get like the family aspect and then just like a kid that like really loves playing football that, I mean, like that was kind of like my microcosm of, of, of Sewell in, in, in one, uh, one game there. Did you see that kind of attitude kind of like infect the rest of the locker room or was it kind of what was was that kind of shared across the offensive line that, that or what did that come from him or was that just kind of something everyone really vibed with? Do you know that's that's an interesting question because like I don't think 
you know, I don't think like Sewell needed like any sort of like energy from anybody else to get going, but like that, that year of an Oregon team just had like a lot of characters like that, that it was kind of like natural, like uh, um, their middle linebacker, Troy Dives with the Vikings. Now, I mean, he was a very similar personality of, um, you know, between the, between the third and fourth quarter, they always play shout on the uh, stadium speakers and like, I would always be essentially like break dancing at like the 50 yard line. as it's, <laughs> it's, it's just a, it's a fun era for like, that was a fun era for Oregon football with a lot of personalities and Sewell's just kind of blended right in because he was a guy that liked to have fun. But as soon as you got between the lines, like they were, that was a pretty relentless football team that they had. Um, let, let's talk about last year a little bit, obviously Sewell opts out. Um, we'll get to maybe your impressions on, on why that happened and all that, but uh, I'm curious as to what the football team looked without him. Um, I'm, I'm not sure who his replacement was at left tackle, but was it clear that they were they were missing him out there? So, so the guy that replaced Sewell at left tackle was the guy that Sewell beat out for that position oh. mm-hmm. uh, two years earlier. But he ended up so he, he's coming back now for his seventh year of eligibility. <laughs> wow! Wow! He's, he's George Moore the fourth. He's 24, and uh, uh, he's which is you know Sewell's now in the NFL at, at 20. It's, it's just yeah. kind of a funny, funny how people develop at different speeds, you know. But uh, uh, Oregon, if things were to happen normal last year, Oregon had a chance at being a, an above average to like a very good football team. If Sewell would have been the anchor of an offensive line that was replacing everybody else along it, like it's you're losing four starters, but you have the Outland Trophy winner. Like you know, maybe we can do something there. And then you have a new quarterback too. Then you lose Sewell. You have five new starters, and, and Oregon's offensive line wasn't a liability for them last year. But for three years, it had been like fear their number one strength and then you go from that to just kind of an average position with a new quarterback with a new offensive coordinator they weren't really able to like practice fully and like actually like uh work on their physicality uh just because of covid stuff like it was it was it was just a weird year like and and, and even like looking back on that season you know they they made it to the fiesta bowl but i don't really have any like glaring memories from like this last season because it just felt it just it just didn't feel like a legitimate season yeah on the Pac-12, then, anyways. I mean, like right. the rest of the country <laughs> kinda, had stuff to Kind of hard, kind of hard to get a full season outlook with only like five games or yeah. whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's what happened with Oregon's quarterback. Like Tyler Shuck played pretty good for them for the first month, and then like he went through a slump. But if you only have seven games, like two games of the slumps, a thirty-year season. And so, <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, that's that, that's fascinating because like I, we'll get into it at some point talking about some of the other picks, but like it was a pretty heavy Pac-12 class for for the Detroit Lions. They get Jamar Jefferson. They get Sewell. They get um, uh, Amon Ra St. Onzerike yeah. out of Washington. Amon Ra St. Brown yeah. out of U- out of SC. Like they, it's the, I mean, obviously some of these guys opted out, but they clearly didn't see the shortened uh, season as, as a detriment to whatever tape they needed. Well, and, and I feel like that's like, was just like a such a like the Pac-12 has been essentially a national punchline for the last you know oh maybe five, oh god six. like people aren't even talking about and, them as a Power Five anymore yeah yeah and they had like a pretty good class of, of players that were coming out of that last year and it's just like of course they weren't able to showcase them like it's just uh, yeah yeah you know. <laughs> <laughs> all right well yeah. before we we head to our first break uh, I want to get into the the opt out decision a little bit there um obviously I think people will. Obviously, the Lions have forgiven that because their, their first two draft picks opted out. But I'm just curious as if you have any sort of insight into why that happened. If you know there was any regret there when when the Pac-12 decided to kind of reverse their decision to to end the season. So, um, yeah, do you have any insight to Sewell's decision there? 
Yeah, he he really wanted to play. Like uh, like like Penny Sewell wants to play football. You know, like I I, I if, if there's any misconception out there of like this kid like wanting to take the year off, like that's that's completely insane. <laughs> so like he but basically what happened with them is it got to August, and at this point the Pac-12 had rescheduled to a conference only schedule. Then they canceled the whole season, and then like a month and a half later, then they decided to bring it back. In that month and a half, there was like no communication from anybody, like anywhere. Like it wasn't just like coaches that didn't know what was going on, players didn't know, know what was going on, parents didn't know what was going on. And like for the Sewells, like they they love college, they love the Oregon Ducks, but like they also are very aware that like he was a first round talent, he was a top ten talent, and they haven't been in this position before. And in August, nobody really even knew if the pack like at that point they were talking about playing the season in January. And so I think it was just one of those things of like, do I want to stay here and be in like a holding pattern and, and maybe just like completely lose out on like, it was, it's just, it made sense for them. They were frustrated. And even after like Oregon's second game, like uh, Penny was at home watching with his dad and like, he was like, had his dad like go through and look up like how he could potentially opt back in, like, like, <laughs> to, like go through the paperwork steps. Like he, he wanted to play and it was disappointing, but ultimately they, uh, they, they know what uh, they, they made the decision what they thought was best at the time, which to be fair, like the Pac-12 wasn't helping them out at all. Yeah. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk more about Penny Sewell here with Tyson Alger from The Athletic. Get into how he projects with the Lions in the NFL. So stick with us. We'll be right back on First Bite. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And we are back here on First Bite talking Penny Sewell with Tyson Alger from The Athletic. Um, Tyson, let's get into maybe a little bit of your projections, put on your, your scouting hat here a little bit, and and talk about some some strengths and weaknesses of, of Sewell's game. And let's just start there um, with, I, I guess, I mean, arm, arm length. I don't know if, if you really want to talk too much about arm length, but I guess that's one of the the quote-unquote concerns with him is that maybe a, a tiny bit undersized do you have any concern about that affecting his game at the pro level not not really uh, just, just from the fact that like he is one so strong and then two like he's, he's an incredibly like flexible and, and like has great reflexes so like he is able to just because of like his physical makeup although I guess we are talking about a 
deficiency of his physical makeup, but uh, he, he he's able to kind of work around that just because of like how good of an athlete he is. I mean, like he does, you know, he, he is still young in his development and can definitely probably work on some technical things, but like he's been able to get by so much on just like how quickly he reacts and in and, and that kind of speed that it, uh, it wasn't an issue at the college level. You got, you guys follow the NFL probably a little bit closer than, than we do over here on the college side, but it, it's, it certainly wasn't a problem for him at Oregon. Yeah, that kind of crit- criticism coming out of the Bengals was very weird. Like, I didn't understand the short. It, it felt like they were just trying to make an excuse, Jeremy, on why they shouldn't take him. <laughs> maybe. But I, I do think Tyson brings up an interesting point that maybe we don't talk about much. And it's the fact that, you know, Penny Sewell played, what, 16 games in college? It's not It's not a ton. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So there's... Yeah, it was uh, it was like six his first year, and then I guess it was like fourteen. As yes, yeah, so he played like 20, 20 games total, uh, and all of those were as a below twenty year old. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there's probably in terms of the technical side, some some things to work on. Is there anything in particular that you saw, whether it's hand usage, footwork, anything like that 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 needs at least a little bit of tweaking? Because I mean, I don't know, he looks pretty clean on tape. I mean, like we can sit here and pick nits, you know, you know, that that's one thing that they did kind of talk about, like his progressive development at Oregon was just some of like, you know, the hand and, and, and foot movement and that sort of positioning and just like stuff you learn as you like you're in a system longer. But it's just I mean, like he's he's so he's exponentially better than any offensive lineman I've ever covered at Oregon that it's, it's just hard for me to to, to yeah, to really handicap that one. Yeah. for you. <laughs> That's fair. Um, I, I also, I guess I want to ask a little bit about, um, your thoughts on, on him moving to right tackle. Um, obviously he, he came into Oregon and just killed it at left tackle right away. So I'm assuming your answer is no here, but is there, do you have any concern about him just sliding over to right tackle and, and, and making an impact right away? His freshman year, I did a, like a profile, sit down interview with him. It was, I think after like week four and I was asking him about, playing left tackle because he had never played that before. And he said, uh, he said for him, like it, it, at the start of fall camp, it felt like having no, uh, it felt like learning how to write with your opposite hand all of a sudden. And within mm-hmm. four weeks, apparently he's pretty good at cursive. Uh, <laughs> so, so the, yeah, the, the right side is what he was natural at coming into high school. So it's, it's something that he, or, sorry, coming into college. So it's something that he's at least familiar with. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm sure every offensive lineman has a little bit of like that ego to them. of like wanting to be the, uh, you know, the left tackle, starting left tackle, that, that sort of guy. But uh, um, yeah, no, I don't, I don't think it will be a huge issue for him because like his, his adaptability more than anything else at Oregon is like what made him stand out just like from, you know, even at like in a specific play level to just like how he was able to like kind of like, adapt to within the program especially with those older guys on the team uh, okay the, the no that's okay the 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 other question i had was simply about like his his kind of mentality out there is, is he is he more of an attacker a guy that's absolutely going to love mauling in the run game or is is he kind of more the patient type where he's he's, he's i mean we, we've seen him be successful at both pass protecting and, and run blocking, but is there one that maybe you see his style of game in terms of his mentality that, that fits his style a little bit better? He, he He's a mauler. He's, he's an attacker. He, he likes to get out and, and be aggressive on those. And I mean, and I hate to keep going back to like some of those kind of like screen plays and, and short passes, but like things like where like he just loves those sort of plays and is, is, is seeking out like just basically like a heat seeker out there. So um, you know, I, I'm not super familiar with like what uh, what Detroit's new offense is going to be looking like with all your guys' uh, quarterback moves out there and stuff. But, <laughs> um, 
you know, like with within that short game, like, I mean, he's fantastic in the passing game. He allowed, I think, two sacks throughout his entire college career. Like, like he right. has the patience for that, especially like, you know, he can do that sort of thing. But getting him in plays where he can go on the offensive and, and get him out in space. And, and that's where you can really take advantage of, of what he does. Well, I want to ask about that, you know, when he does have to play defensive, because obviously in the NFL, he might have to like, you know, hold a pocket for a lot longer, obviously versus college routes take sometimes long. They, they like to let their routes develop a little longer. And one of the notes always about Sewell, it was like, again, kind of like the short arms thing. It was like trying to, because we've got to have, we have to have this pros and cons list and we've got to put cons. We've got to put something here. It was always that Sewell might be a little too aggressive. Is he able to just kind Kind of, you know, how, how does he does when he, how, how will he do if he has to like, you know, hold a pocket for like five seconds, seven seconds, however long. Yeah. And, and I think that's just something probably like a bit of a natural progression. But like I said, like, I mean, this kid's been bigger and stronger than everyone he's played since he was probably like 12 years old, you know? And so like, I, I think that he, um, I, I think he does take some swings sometimes that, that maybe, that maybe he just needs to de- develop that patience with. And that I think that will just come in time. I mean, like you play a full NFL season, you're probably going to learn that awfully quick if, if it's, if it's something that's a deficient deficiency in your game. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's definitely something that he could work on, but, uh, uh and granted, you know, like in the college game too, like they get the ball out so quick all the time that like, you know, you just didn't really have like a whole lot of opportunities like to see a whole bunch of that. But uh, it, it, yeah, it's not something that I'm super concerned about. This feels odd. Also, like just again, you know, it's, it's always the jump from college to NFL. It's like going from high school to college. It's always kind of going into the bigger pond. Um, and again, just nitpicking here a little bit because I know, you know, again, from the Pac-12, we, we saw a defensive tackle on Zarike go to the same team to the Lions. So obviously there is some defensive players in the Pac-12, but he's no longer going to be the biggest, strongest guy on the field every Saturday when he starts playing on Sunday. Do you think he's going to need to make a little bit of adjustment in that regard? I, I'm sure there will be some adjustment. And, and you know, that's something that uh, the last probably last three, four years of the Pac-12, like there hasn't been like a whole lot of like absolutely like elite kind of uh, defensive line players. Like it's, it's not like you're going out to, you know, in the SEC where you're, where you're facing two or three of those on, on every single line, every single week. But I mean, that was, that was kind of like a big uh, measuring uh, point for him uh, coming off of his freshman year was like, okay, you're going into the sophomore year, they're opening it against Auburn. And it's like this bit. And that was like, Derek Brown was on that team. Like that Auburn front seven was legitimate. And that was honestly probably one of the best games Sewell played in his career. I mean, if you look at his highlight tape, half of his highlights are from that game. Um, and so, I mean, he, he's been able to uh, match that size in college when given the opportunity, but it wasn't something that he was necessarily tested with week in and week out at the Pac-12 level. Uh, last one for me before we, we talk maybe a little bit of Jamar Jefferson to close things out. Um, do you have a play in particular of, of Sewell's career that you're like, that's that's the guy that you're getting Detroit Lions fans? Mm, I mean, I, I'm sorry I already brought it up, but it would have to be that that Stanford one from a couple yeah. of years ago where it, it, uh, it, it, it's been pretty uh, gift or gift on, on Oregon Twitter throughout <laughs> the year. So I, I'm sure you'd be able to find it. But it's uh, it's just impressive, like just like how much he – how much it looks like he just wants to destroy the kid that he's running through <laughs> through the back end of that <laughs> zone. And, and that just really kind of set the tone for like what Oregon's offense did that year. It's just like yeah. physical, like we're coming after you. Um, so it, it would definitely have to be that one. Fair enough. 
Um, and, and because you do cover Oregon football, um, I, I did want to at least just touch on Jamar Jefferson, the Lions seventh round pick who plays for Oregon, who did play for Oregon State. And I know it was kind of a thorn in Oregon's side a couple of times. Um, could you just kind of give mm. a, a quick overall Im- impression of, of Jamar Jefferson's game? Because I think of all the Lions draft picks, that's one that maybe it was a little bit of a head scratcher. But now the Lions um, are, are, are reportedly waving carry on Johnson. So he might be, you know, part of the, the team in 2021. And and to set this and, and to set this table on Jamar Jefferson because I know we had just heard from some of our friends over at the SB Nation blog for the uh, Oregon Ducks as well from uh, Addicted to Quack. Mm-hmm. Um, I forget what was her name, but she she said the same thing about Jamar Jefferson that uh, huge thorn in Oregon side. He uh, he has a big old chip on his shoulder. He he wasn't well recruited coming out of high school. He played at Oregon State, which I mean. It is often very much overshadowed by Oregon, like even in the mm-hmm. years where Oregon State's able to ups, upset him. Uh, and so he runs like that. And gosh, did he just destroy Oregon like this year? I mean, physical guy, fast guy. Um, his, his freshman year, I thought he was a top three running back in the Pac 12 his freshman year, like as a true freshman from the get out. And this was a kid that not a whole lot of people had heard about. He was banged up as his sophomore year, and it kind of just felt, and it wasn't like a, like a serious, like, he's out for the season type of injury. It was just something that like limited him and cost him a few games. And so like, it was kind of like, uh, Oh, Jamar Jefferson's probably like fell off a little bit. And then he comes back last year and he was just, I mean, that, that kid runs violent for, for I, I think uh, when, when I wrote a profile on him, I think I described it as like a cannonball, but like he, he, he's just got breakaway speed and and he runs physical for a guy that's not like a, a super huge back. Um, and so, yeah, he, he was a very, a very important part of, of everything Oregon State did last year. And, uh, yeah, when he went for like, what was it, like 275 or 300 or something against Oregon last year in, in the, uh, the rivalry game, that was uh, that was the it was the most uh, rushing yards Oregon's allowed since Ezekiel Elliott in like wow. 2014 and 2014. So. That's that's quite a stat. <laughs> that, that's Tyson Alger from the Athletic covering the Oregon Ducks. Uh, you can follow him at Tyson Alger on Twitter. Uh, let me leave the stage to you. Um, anything that Lions fans might be interested in reading your, of yours, or, or where else they can they can catch you? You know, Oregon's got more players that might be drafted in future years. So if you want to check it out at the Athletic, I'm just uh, I, I think. Uh, you you can just pull it up on the Oregon page, but I don't know. There, there's a lot of people that do good things on that site. So, I mean, just an overall plug for the, <laughs> I know I have a subscription and I would absolutely recommend it to you as well. Uh, but until next time, we're going to close things up there. Thank you for listening next week. Hopefully we'll do a podcast on Levi Onzurike uh, as we continue our lions draft series here on first bite. But until next time, thanks for joining us. Uh, be, it's chaos. Be kind.
Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. 